Is this for me to stand on? Yeah, I lost a little weight. Can you see me behind this stand okay? I could move over here. Um, anyway, I'm Mike. I'm here, um, I guess, as a last-ditch effort to find somebody to share on the last day, Sunday of the month or of the year. But um, it was, you know, we cast lots for this. <laughs> All right, anyway, I just wanted to introduce myself. And there, most of you would know me here. I've, my wife and Sandy and I have been here for... Uh, many, many moons. We were here when they changed it to that really dumb name back in the day, and now we have a church with a real church name, Renton Community Church. So, But um, anyway, I just I wanted to introduce my scripture. Angie already did. But if you could stand again, let's read through it one more time. And it um, should be up there. Good. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have such a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Go ahead and be seated. So the title of this sermon is uh, Looking Back at What's Coming. And the reason I say that is that this is the time of year where some of us start to think about how well did we do over the last year and over the last, you know, what, what New Year's resolutions did we fail in? Because um, we have a tendency to hold on to the things of the world, of the things that are most that we see, the things that are easiest to grasp, and the things that we think we can have control over. We try to, those are the things we try to improve upon. And uh, if we can improve upon, those, those help our pride and our egos, and they also help us realize that we don't need anybody but ourselves, which leads to many... Uh, bad issues. But anyway, the top 10 resolutions for 2019 were, by a large margin, diet or eat healthier. Everybody do that? One was exercise more, and that's probably because you got an exercise machine or a workout uh, club membership for Christmas, and it's like high on your list there. One was lose weight, which I don't know why all those things are all kind of the if you did any one of those, you'd probably lose weight, so you didn't even need to include it, but I guess you could do it. Save more, spend less, learn a new skill or hobby. At the very bottom was spend more time with family and friends, 13%. You guys need to be better friends. So, um, but I guess you can kind of see that a lot of this stuff didn't get fulfilled, probably. And uh, I want to look back over the last year at some of the things we did here at Renton Community Church and uh, give you a chance to maybe make a change for this next year and maybe do some things that might last a little bit longer. Um, and some of those things are, let's see, um, let's go to the next slide there if you could. Is there another slide? Yeah, a little, little summary of what I'm going to talk about here, and I'll walk through it with you. It's just, I have three parts. Caleb's a good teacher. He teaches us all. Everything has three parts. 
Cars have three components, a motor, a transmission, and a body. So anyway, everything's got three parts. You can always break it down to three parts. Hang on to Jesus, hang in there, and hang out. So let's, let's go through this. Um, and the reason we read this scripture is because it's a promise to us and how we can enter in to the presence of the Lord without any pre-qualifying criteria. We don't need to have a resolution. We don't need to improve ourselves. We can walk into Jesus as you can. I remember the story that um, uh, Sandy's sister told us, and I believe it was her or someone she knew. She had been, um, I'm, I'm getting the story confused, but Sandy will correct me if I'm wrong, of course. But she had been a, she'd been an alcoholic. She'd been, uh, had, had a really bad life, several marriages that had failed. And she got, was out hitchhiking one time, and I don't know if she was drunk at this point, but she got, was out hitchhiking and got picked up by a pastor. Isn't that correct? And he took her to church, and she at that point felt that she started to become a Christian. She started realizing what was going on with her life, and she's a strong believer now. And she was at the very worst, lowest place she could possibly be. And it's interesting, that's a lot of stories of conversion are that way. I was at my lowest point, and God grabbed me. I've never heard anybody say... I met all 10 of my New Year's resolutions, and God grabbed me. So uh, when I was a little kid, <clears throat> I got hit by a car and broke my femur. I left the large bone on my leg and uh, for, I can't remember how long it was, because when you're a kid, it seems like nine years. But um, I had this little, had this cast that came up to here, and it had my leg spread out at about a, I don't know, 30-degree angle with this metal bar between them, and I had to scoop myself around on my backside basically and get around like because <laughs> you can't put a wheelchair on me because I'm like you almost needed to just lay me down and drag me on a like a creeper like for working on cars um, but it was weird getting in and out of bed because I, I actually had learned to put my leg up and flop myself over into bed and that kind of thing so but when I got out of that thing I could barely walk I was only five I think maybe six years old hadn't started school yet I was we lived in California <clears throat> and I um, remember what just after I got my cast off and I was starting to kind of wobble, I would walk against the wall. I would, you know, I, would, I was always holding on to something. I'd never felt certain of myself walking around. And we moved back up to Seattle. And I was going to Highline Elementary, and I remember I was, at, uh, I think, must have been kindergarten or first grade. First grade. And um, we were having a house built over in near what is now Federal Way. And um, we... <laughs> I, it was weird. I was went out at recess one time, and I remember watching kids run around. And I thought, I got to learn to run. I, I got to learn to do this. So, I, I'm holding on to the wall, and I start just kind of moving my feet out. They were kind of stiff, and I started walking around the courtyard. I was, you know, recess for kids was about a half an hour or something like that. So I'm gradually making my way, and I can remember there's this big tree in the middle of the, of the. And I thought I'm going to make it to the tree, and I make it to the tree, and I'm, I'm like. I'm going to try running a little bit. So I started moving my legs. It just, it was weird. I felt like, like Forrest Gump, but I didn't have the, the, you know, the brackets and stuff on my legs like he did. But I remember starting to run and I started to jog and then I started to run. I ran faster and I pretty much just started running as fast as I could around. And I would change the way my gait would go. I'd change the way my legs would move so that I could maybe get more speed or feel more comfortable. And at that point, it was like I finally realized I can run. And it was, I actually jumped out and I went and, went and did it. And I was, I was actually the happiest I've ever been, I remember as a kid. Because I was, I thought I was going to just be a cripple all my life. 
Um, and a lot of it had to do with just, you know, you're young, you don't know. There's, and I didn't have any friends yet, so I thought, well, what the heck, why don't I just try to run? <laughs> so, um, but that's the way a lot of us live our lives. We just hold on to the things that we kind of can hold on to, and, you know, we don't, we're afraid to jump out and do anything that's very daring. <clears throat> and I just put it to you that even though it might seem daring to put your life in the, in the Lord's hands, there's nothing more satisfying and nothing more safe than being in the Lord's hands. So uh, as far as that, the, verse, the verse goes, and the reason we can do that is that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You all probably know the temple, the holy place and the holy of holies was you know, a place where the priests would go in, but the holy places where all the, the believers could go, God's people could go. So we can go there, and we don't have to worry about what's coming. And so the first point is our hanging on to Jesus. And one of the best ways I can assure you to hang on to Jesus is to learn to pray. One of the things we did here this last year, we had a little conference on prayer and practice. And the reason I'm even talking about this today is I was reading through it here a few months ago, reading through the, the, the lesson, and the scripture jumped out at me. And I thought that would be kind of cool to really walk through that again and, and talk about what, what was there. Because I know, you know, we're not a big church, but we had a pretty good attendance there, and I don't know if it helped those that attended, but I know it helped me, and it was inspiring for me. So I'm going to read a quote about prayer that uh, John Chrysostom, who was an, old, an early, early believer, in fact, some people say one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, and he was a Greek uh, Christian, so I don't know why they always translate Greek into, old Test, into King James English, but here it goes. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled the demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is all efficient, an all-efficient penalty. Panoply, sorry, I, I practice that. A treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the foundation, the mother of a thousand blessings. Now, if that's not your experience with prayer, it might be you just need to stick with it a little bit. Um, some of the stories I've, I've read about people in prayer are, I read a story about an um, Indian missionary. He was a a young man who hadn't really been very educated, but uh, he decided he wanted to start a church. He started a church, and suddenly within a year, he had, like, I think, five or seven churches that were thriving. And uh, all of the uh, church leaders came, and they wanted to find out, what's, what's he do? And they all said, well, he's not educated. He, you know, he reads the Bible a lot, but he, you know, he seems to know the Bible well enough to preach, but he's not educated. He doesn't understand how to build a church. But one thing that he did do is he prayed three hours a day. So it just... The thing about prayer is if uh, you've probably found yourself, I prayed about that, it just didn't work out, didn't happen. I, you know, we can pray more than we do. And I'm not trying to tell you to squeeze everything out of your schedule. But I'm trying to say maybe throw something out that might take some time from you from prayer. I've got some hint, hints if you're interested. Let's see if we can go on to the next slide where I've got one of, um, it's kind of a pattern of prayer. Thomas Cranmer, you remember his name from the 16th century? He was one of the martyrs of the church, but he wrote the first book of common prayer. 
And one of, he, one of the things he did, we came up with an address, uh, basically a pattern of prayer or an outline, the address where you come up with the name of God or some sort of attribute of God that you can declare to God. The doctrine is a truth about God's nature that's the basis of the prayer. In other words, we all pray, Lord, help my sister to be healed because you are the great healer. And the reason that's important is because then you start to put your faith in the actual healer, not in your prayer that you've brought up. And then the, the petition, of course, what's being requested, the aspiration, what good will result will come if the request is granted. Now, we always have an idea what the good might be, but we don't 100% know. But this was an, a good one for me. In Jesus' name, this remembers the mediatorial role of Jesus. I've always thought, why do we say in Jesus' name? It almost sounds pagan to just you know, have, to, have to throw that in there. Thank you for the biscuits in Jesus' name. Amen. But it really does remind us that we are praying and Jesus is answering. Jesus is taking that prayer to the Father. So if, if that's not good enough for you, I've got something actually laid out. If you actually are interested in trying to take on a new way to pray, let's go to the next screen. I've got, this is all stuff that got, we came from the class. This isn't stuff I dreamed up. I mean, I, I found some different references, but this is all from our class that we had with, that John taught. First thing you do is you come to God, you approach God. And this is a way you can actually pray through the Psalms. And what's important about that is the Psalms, and I've started doing this. It seems interesting to go, Lord, my enemies are around me all around, you know, and that kind of thing. How does that, how do you personalize a prayer like that? Well, if you start praying through the Psalms, you'll realize, and God will remind you of things about himself and things about yourself that you've got enemies surrounding you that are, you can't see. Or sometimes they're just inside of you. But approach God. Ask him for his presence and help as you read and pray. Now, I, my presentation here isn't going to be very solemn and uh, contemplative, obviously, because I'm just not publicly that kind of a guy. But this is kind of where you kind of nestle down and you get in your little, grab your pillow or your whatever it is you'd like to comfort, and your Bible, and you do this with God. Bible reading and meditation. Read a psalm, eventually working through the Psalter twice a year. Right now, I'm reading this through the psalms, and I usually, as I pray, it takes about two or three days to go through one psalm. And a lot of it has to do just reading through the psalm and then thinking about, is there something that I need to personalize in that? Then I read it again the next day and think, you know, to start taking each verse and pointing out God. And you'll be surprised how what used to take you maybe 45 seconds to pray, you'll find yourself praying for five to 10 minutes because you'll start to remember things that God has done. And you'll, you'll recognize from this little quote I made from John Chrysostom, a lot of this was scripture that he brought out. Go back. Is there one more? Did I miss anything? Uh, okay, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, when I looked at the slide, I thought there was another one. This is interesting. You prayer. I thought that was just kind of a fun way to put it. But turn this psalm into a prayer and pray it back to God. We're not praying about you or to you. We're praying to God for you. And then think over your day. Confess where you sinned or failed to respond as you should have. This is... Another interesting point, most people tend to believe, or at least I've always tended to believe, that if I'm going to be a real prayer warrior, I've got to get up at 4.30 in the morning and pray until 8 o'clock. But this is apparently done in the evening, so the options are wide open. So my point number two, I'm going to move on here, I, I, I don't want to... Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, that is, I'm, that's one of the components I forgot to... I see it here on here, but I forgot to read it. But I'm just, I don't, I don't like to use PowerPoint because I end up wanting to just read what I'm showing you. But think over your day and pray for people you meet 
you met or heard about who have needs or are in difficulty. Pray for some of the more urgent and important needs on your heart. So that way you can see how how uh, how deep that is. If you got spend some time really thinking about what the word says, the word addresses a lot of our human condition. Okay, so next uh, point two is hanging in. Hanging in to me is when you um, you can bolster your faith with knowledge. One of the things I like to say about faith is faith isn't just believing in Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus and believing because you know he can do it. It isn't like, oh, I believe that Jesus will help me and I'm just going to keep praying until I believe it. And then I'll go watch a video that somebody says Jesus and that will encourage me. But really, if you understand by studying the Bible and studying our class on forensic faith, <laughs> plug number two, um, that you'll actually find there's a way to investigate the scriptures that show that God is truly real. And he's not just, it's not just some religious book. The Bible is not just a religious book that's been written by people who believed in God and want to tell other people about it. They're people that witnessed what God did, and they're telling other people about it. So um, I have, this is going to be a little bit different. One of the things I like to do when I'm praying or if I have a need or I, I have a certain sense of doom or whatever, um, I, I, I tend to, when I'm, when I'm alone too long, I start to get a little bit depressed and I start getting a little bit bitter about the world and that kind of thing because I think about all the stuff I shouldn't be thinking about. But one thing I like to do when I ever get in that kind of a mood is I remember, specifically because of the truth of Scripture, I remember the, the Dead Sea. I always, God always reminds me, Remember the million people that went through the Dead Sea? It just parted, and I'm thinking, okay, that's right. That's the kind of God I serve. He actually does do miraculous things and can do miraculous things. And what I'm waiting for might not end up needing a miraculous answer, but he can do it. So he's easy. it's a way to put your trust and just nestle in with God. So um, go ahead to the next. I've got a video that I want to show you because... I want to, this is a plug for our forensic faith class and our studying the Bible class, our, uh, in, in, uh, the, the class that John just mentioned about. Part of the reason for that class is to teach you, just a moment, is to teach you how to read the Bible so that you can actually see that what's in there is reliable. Anyway, so this is a guy that I like to listen to. He's, um, uh, you've probably heard me mention him before. He's a former cop. So he looks at the Bible in a very different way than most people do, but not only is it unique, but it's also very practical for us, regular people. Even though he is a trained, uh, he's been to Bible college now, he's got a master's, I believe, in theology, but he looks at this so practically that it's like, oh yeah, I can do that. And that's the good thing about the Bible is that you can look at it, don't have to be theologically astute, just read through the Bible, but if you understand how to, you'll see that it's a word that something is really helpful. So he was an atheist, started reading through the Gospels as though he were a crime scene investigator. And you'll, you'll hear. It's interesting. It, he...
So he tells the story of being at, at he, his wife finally got him to come to church one time, and he went and heard the guy talk about the Lord. So he decided to investigate the New Testament, especially the four Gospels. Like he said, he looked at it, made his little charts and his uh, uh, comparative sh- chart and everything, his uh, debit and credit sheet. <laughs> and uh, he realized, you know, he told his wife, he, he tells us in his book, he goes, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm starting to think that this might have been true. Because he understands the nature of, of, of uh, um, eyewitness accounts. And you and I have all played the game where somebody whispers something in your ear or you all watch a video and everybody talks about what they do. Everybody's going to have a different view of what happened. Everybody, you could tell by listening that everyone watched the same view, but you could also tell that not everybody was sitting in the same chair. So it's kind of interesting how that works out. So... And one of the reasons I show this video is it gives you a way to kind of see that the gospel is logical. It's, 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 uh, it's reasonable. And one of the things that Jesus or the, the Bible teaches is uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. I don't know if I put the, the scripture in there. Um, I did. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Our interpreting Bible class is just this. It teaches us how to read through the Bible 
and interpret the word of truth. There are many arguments that people have nowadays against Christianity. Most people that you'll run into aren't violently opposed to Christianity like he, he says he was and people he knows were. But most of the, but uh, if you listen to the uh, apologetics on YouTube, like Robbie Zacharias, there's like eight or nine questions that atheists bring up and they always bring the same eight or nine questions up. And there's no, he says in the 20 or 41 years he's been in ministry, nobody's ever brought up a new question. So the answers are fairly pretty easy to find. And like he says, it's perception or it's preconception. If you don't believe in a, in a, uh, well, if you don't believe in a, in a, um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. I forgot to drink my coffee this morning. Um, if you don't believe in, in um, anything supernatural happening, then you basically eliminated the ability to argue because what it's describing is a supernatural event. And then I've got one more scripture verse for us. This one's from Jesus. Go ahead, and I, before I, I won't turn to it, you can, it should be the next, yeah. Mark 12, 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So it's not just faith, but it's knowledge so that you can increase your faith. Because the more you know about Jesus, the more faith you're going to have in him, because you'll know that he can actually do the job. My third point is hanging out. And this uh, comes from uh, verses 23 through 25. You have that in there? Yeah. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We have... I, there's various names from home groups, DNA groups, we have life groups, we have cryout groups, we have the, the bridge group. <laughs> we have a lot of groups that you could probably get involved in in some way or not if you need fellowship. And I just want to encourage people to get involved in these groups because you're never going to be a Christian island. You're going to always need the fellowship. And, um, and that's part of what we do. One of the things that Caleb and John have been very good at his te- and, and Bob have been teaching us what the Bible says. They're theologically trained. They understand and they can explain it to us. So we're working on our minds and we're working on our hearts. And loving the Lord with all your strength is one way you can kind of like, one way to look at it might be if you have, a, if you're involved in a club that doesn't do anything to glorify the Lord or, or even help your spiritual life, maybe drop it and join something that might, do, that might do that, to get you a little bit closer to the Lord. I was just realizing this morning when I got here I, I, that I was going to teach on this, and I'm trying to do this in my own life, and I'm just realizing I still let my work get in my way. I still have opportunities at work to do, take on new projects or to, um, or to maybe take a little a, a short-term position where I'm going to be working more, more weekends, stuff like that, and I'm starting to second-guess how... Am I, is that the thing to do? Do I need to not be here on Sunday once in a while just because I, I got a chance to get a, make a little extra work, make a little extra money on my paycheck? So those are things to think about. Uh, and one of the things I want to point out, I used, I used to work in a transmission shop. And it was a, I was a rebuilder and started out as a rebuilder's assistant, but after a few years that I got to where I could be one of the rebuilders. And, uh, 
it seemed like we had a lot of these guys that worked in the automotive industry that were, I don't know if it was drugs or alcohol or what, but they would just, they'd get hired in and they wouldn't come to work. They would get their paycheck and then they'd disappear, I guess. Uh, the only other industry I was in where that was a problem was carpet layers. They'd do their job, get paid on Friday, and you wouldn't see them until next Wednesday. Um, but that happened a lot in the transmission shop. And unfortunately, we were a high-production transmission shop. We did 10 to 15 cars a day. So we had a little factory going on in the back. We had three rebuilders building stuff, sending them out the door. And they were getting slapped back into the cars. And it was, we, we did, I'm serious, 10 to 15 cars a day sometimes. Um, that would be a good day, and it would be a pretty routine. But if one of these guys didn't show up, the whole place just shut down. You know, we had to push the cars out that weren't ready to go yet because he wasn't here to either rebuild it or the guy that puts them back in wasn't here. And it just, it shut the whole shop down pretty much. And that's kind of what it is like in a church when not everyone is here. Um, there's, there's a lot of times we come and we'll have, uh, we, we pray for people. We have, uh, and there's a lot of people need encouragement. Some of you are very encouraging people. And if you're not here to pray in your way, Sometimes the prayer can maybe like, man, I wish we had somebody that could encourage us a little bit about that. And it's amazing what you, you don't know what your gift is until you start getting around other people. So I want to um, kind of close with a little comment here from, I like to quote people that we wouldn't normally read from. And this is an Anglican bishop named Sandy Miller. Has to do, he's got a book that talks about prayer and it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, and the book is uh, All I Want Is You. And uh, I'm going to use this somewhat, uh, I'm going to lead right into to prayer after I do this, so I'll just, I'll read this and then I'll pray and then I'll be done. But I want you to just kind of listen to this. If you need to close your eyes, you're welcome to do that. It's, it's, uh, it's about a paragraph long, but I just want you to hear him saying this, because he said it in an interview and he's written it in his book. Bishop Sandy Miller describes attending a conference in California some years ago at which he saw the Spirit of God working in powerful ways. When it was over, he went for a long walk along the coast. He writes, As I was walking, I was caught up with the excitement of all that that lay, that lay ahead and the thrill of the Spirit of God. I was saying, Lord, I will give you anything you want. I will do anything you want me to do. And I confess I was rather immodestly listing one or two of the things I thought he might want me to do. To contribute to the kingdom of God. It wasn't a very long list for obvious reasons. I can honestly claim to have only heard the Lord speak three times in this way, but as clearly as I have ever heard him speak, all he said was, all I want is you. I found that really hard to take because I can cope with people who are cross with me, offended or upset. What's much harder is to see this love from Jesus. And yet we let him down again and again. And all he wants is us, all of us. It was the most humbling thing in the world. He can do anything he likes, but all he wants is you. Dear Lord, I thank you that you want us and that you want us as we are. We don't have to get cleaned up. We don't have to get learned up. But Lord, you love us just the way we are.